Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. This is part two on the advent of hope. And I want you to have audacious hope. You know, there's one thing to have uh, hope that is not really super confident, right? I, I say all the time, I want you to know that I have not a hope-so salvation, a no-so salvation. And because I know Jesus Christ, I have that blessed hope. It's an audacious hope. You know, so many people are wandering around in confusion. So many people are discouraged when they look at where our culture is, and they look at society and where it is. We're seeing mass shootings taking place. Just this year alone, over 600 mass killings have taken place. Last year, it was 690 mass shootings. The year before that, it was over 600 mass shootings. Unbelievable when you think about the evil and the violence in our world today. Job asked, where is my hope? Can I find it anywhere? Is it even worth pursuing? Uh, Maybe what I ought to do is just pack up my family. Go live off the grid somewhere, go live off the land, and get away from everything until the Lord returns. Well, I want you to know, we have not been called to be hermits. Darkness may cover the earth. There may be a thick darkness over all the people, but the Lord rises upon us, and he gives his glory to appear before us. Nations are going to come to the light of God. We must not lose hope. And by the way, that verse I just quoted, that wasn't my words. That was the words of Isaiah, reminding his people, although the days may look dark, they may be filled with evil. We do not lose hope because we have the knowledge of the coming of Christ. You see, the church was built on the hope of Jesus Christ. The church got started with a fledgling group of 120 followers of Christ. On the first service they had, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to a saving knowledge of Christ. By the year A.D. 500, there were 40 million followers of Christ. Today, across the globe, there are 2.56 billion people who identify as followers of Christ. You know, one of the things with Christians is we tend to be a quieter type of people. Uh, We're not in-your-face type of people. Uh, Most of us uh, are just loving our families, going to work every day living an honorable life. Uh, we're faithful to our family, faithful to our church, faithful to our community. And because of that, uh, we don't bring a lot of attention to ourselves. But I want you to know, we have confident expectation. That's why we live in hope. The Christian hope is rooted in the faith of divine salvation, found in Christ and in Christ alone. A couple years ago, we had a whole year where we focused on hope. And our theme verse was Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. For at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This means that no matter what comes our way, suffering, turmoil, death, heartbreak, Our hope in Christ conquers it all. You know, hope is such a blessing, and I want to encourage you to live audaciously hopeful. And we're going to get our command given to us in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse number 16. Paul is writing, and he says, now this is the covenant. Now, a covenant is always an unconditional promise. Paul is reminding us it's kind of like the covenant of marriage. It's not a contract. You know, a contract is based on distrust. I don't trust you, so I say, 
Get it to me in writing. But a covenant is based upon unconditional love. This covenant I make with them, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I'm going to write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, this is an amazing passage, right? When we dive deeper into the meaning of this text, we discover that God has entered into this relationship with us, and it says he puts his laws in our hearts. Now, they're no longer written on stone, but now they're written on our heart. What does that mean? It means that God changes our understanding of what is right and what is wrong, and he places it upon our hearts. He begins to convict us of what is right. He begins to comfort us to do what is right, and it's actually written in our hearts and written in our minds. That's why as followers of Christ, there are certain things that we cannot go along with because our hearts and our minds, our conscience has revealed to us because of the forgiveness that we have received in Christ that we can no longer live that way. And then he adds that our sins, those lawless acts, are remembered no more. In other words, we're forgiven, and the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to pay for past, present, and future sins. You see, if you've never been born again, you have never received that forgiveness of your sins. And you may have been living your sin for so long that you see no reason to repent of your sins. You see no reason to stop living a lifestyle of sin. It has become part of who you are. But we as followers of Christ... And this is not to belittle anybody. We are children of the king. So we think different, we act different, and we process things much differently. Paul reminds us because of this that we should have this perseverance in our faith. We're down to verse number 19 and 20. And so Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, opened for us through a curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, full of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And because of this, he says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And then he says, let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, there's five reasons that I came up with from this passage of why we should be audaciously hopeful. Now, verse number 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, I guess you could consider that as a Baptist anthem. And I grew up memorizing that verse, and that is a powerful verse, right? Don't skip church. Don't get out of the habit of coming to church, but encourage one another all the time as you see the day approaching, or all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I take great comfort in this passage because I realize that even the Apostle Paul— in the first generation church. I mean, we're talking about people that had seen the risen Savior, people that had probably seen Christ before he was crucified. They, even though they had seen the resurrected Savior, 
they get in the habit of skipping church. And so it's a common problem throughout all centuries of church history. And so Paul gives us this exhortation. Don't get in the habit of not going to church. Because when you go to church, you have the opportunity to encourage somebody. You know, I used to think, well, I better go to church so I can get my batteries filled up and so that the pastor can encourage me and so that I can get my spirit filled through the song service and all the uh, events of the day. But I, I realized, according to this verse, that I go to church to encourage other people. And the more I encourage other people, the more I get encouraged, but the more I need to be involved as I see the day approaching. So the closer we get to the return of the Lord, his second coming, his second advent, the more intentional we should be about gathering together because the world's getting darker and darker. We need the encouragement of one another more and more. So let's talk about how I can be audaciously hopeful. Uh, Number one is by being sincere and drawing to God in faith. Verse 21 and 22 says this, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, full in assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Have you ever noticed just how easy it is to drift from God? Things that used to be important begin to lose its importance. You think about that contrite heart. Maybe that contrite heart is missing. I want to encourage you that if you're beginning to lose your hope, draw back to God in faith. Stop looking at the hopelessness of the situation that you find yourself in and start looking at the hope of Christ. If you want to do a little test on where you are in drawing to God in faith, I think Psalm 63 is a wonderful chapter in the Bible to help us with this. Because it is so important to drift and to drift in our relationship with God, we must be intentional about not drifting. Psalm 63, David is writing this, and he's not in a palace somewhere as he's writing this psalm. No, David is actually in the desert of Judah. Let me read this. It's only 11 short verses. Let me read it, and then I'm going to give you six questions that you can ask yourself to determine if you are drawing near to God in faith. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a perched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed, and they will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify him 
while the mountains of liars will be silenced. Well, here's the six questions. If you feel like you're drifting from the Lord, number one, ask yourself, am I earnestly seeking God? David says, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. I'm not just talking about checking off the boxes, but am I really seeking God with my whole heart? Even though I'm in this purse land, am I seeking God? Question number two, when was the last time that you saw God? David said, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I behold your glory in verse number two. Now, David's not talking about physically seeing God. No one can physically see God, but he's talking about his spiritual eyes have experienced God and experienced that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So when you are beginning to drift, ask yourself, am I earnestly seeking God? When was the last time I saw God? And then question number three, how is my worship? Am I blocking out distractions, spending time in God's presence? David says, your love is better than life, and my lips will praise you. He's given these expressions of praise. When your hope begins to diminish, worship the Lord. There's something about gathering together. You know, Sunday morning uh, before church started, I, I was a little discouraged. And, uh, and we went into the worship center, and we prayed together before the service began, and then the worship team started singing. And all of a sudden, my spirits began to be lifted. I had to block out all the distractions uh, that was causing me to, to, to be in a blue funk, and I had to focus on God's presence. I began to worship Him. I began to realize I've got to worship Him in spirit and in truth, David says, I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to worship God. Well, here's the next question. Found in verse number five. Am I completely satisfied with God? David says, I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of food. He uses a great analogy here. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. You know, when I got out from the Thanksgiving meal, I wasn't looking for another piece of pie. <laughs> I was satisfied. I was stuffed. I was full. I was full with the riches of food. David says, do you have that same feeling with God? Are you completely satisfied with him? Or are you looking for something else to fill that void in your life? It was Vance Hafner who said, God has created in our hearts a God-shaped void, and nothing can fit into that void except God himself. Are you completely satisfied with God? Number five, how is God impacting my life? Now, David said that he'd be on his bed at night and tossing and turning in the watches of the night, and he would bring his attention to what God has done for him. So those times when you're tossing and turning at night, are you asking God to impact your life in all parts of your life? You know, I've discovered that a lot of times God wakes me up in the middle of the night, and it's not because I'm stressing about something, not because I'm worried about anything. I think he wakes me up because he wants to have a time with me. 
I do most of my sermon preparation, most of my Bible study, most of my devotional time in the middle of the night. I don't know why God wakes me up. My dad was the same way. He'd wake up in the middle of the night for an hour or two and then go back to bed. And uh, I find that I do that myself, or either I get up real early and just stay up and don't go back to bed. But I've discovered that those are impactful times where God speaks to me. Here's another question. Do I really trust God to protect me? David says, I will cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. David points out two facts here, that the right hand of God is going to protect him. Most people are right-handed. That's our stronger arm. And David says, God's right arm, right hand is going to uphold me. Then he says, I'm going to have my enemies destroyed by God. God is going to take care of my enemies. So David says, my hope is found in clinging to him. So here's my question. Do you really trust God to protect you? We can be audaciously hopeful as we draw near to God in faith. And this is an ongoing process. And number two, we can be audacious in our faith when we are determined to be hopeful. Now, I want you to know that you are about as hopeful as you want to be. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And now Paul gives us a wonderful illustration of determining to be hopeful regardless of the odds. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. And he uses the analogy of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, against all hope, believed and became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, as I was writing the sermon, I read an article about a 70-year-old woman who just gave birth. Well, Sarah was beyond the age of 70 when she gave birth. Abraham was almost 100. Sarah was 90. And against hope, God allowed Abraham and Sarah to be the father of many nations. It's hard to imagine what hope can do for us. When things are going good, you don't need a whole lot of hope. Things are going good. Hope is designed to propel us during difficulties. Can you imagine being accused of a crime that you didn't commit and being sentenced to death and then waiting on death row for 30 years? Well, that's the story of Anthony Hinton. Anthony Hinton felt like his years uh, in prison were going to be wasted. He was arrested for the murder that he did not commit. He worked in a factory as an employee, and, and he locked up the building every night. He finished up his night shift, and there was a murder that took place. And so the officers came, and they arrested Anthony Hinton. And in this particular case, there was no physical evidence that would tie him to the crime. Later, as he recounted protesting his innocence to the arresting officer, the officer said this, I don't care whether you didn't do it or did do it. In fact, I believe you didn't do it, but it doesn't matter if you didn't do it or not. One of your brothers did, and you're going to take the rap. 
where 30 years later, Anthony Hinton was freed without an apology, without any compensation from the government for having taken 30 years of his life. Hinton wrote a book entitled The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row. It's a heartbreaking and a, and a heart-trending book, but in spite of his soul-crushing years without hope, he came out as a man, determined not to allow bitterness to control his life. He has forgiven his enemies, because as he says, I forgive because I have a God who forgives. You see, maybe today you're you're losing hope and you're getting off track, and, and, and I want to encourage you, determined to be hopeful. Follow hope. It was Billy Graham who said, whenever you see a hopeless situation, whenever you see tragedy, look for those who are going to rescue, not those who are the victim of the tragedy. Look to those who are involved in the rescue efforts. I'm thinking about 9-11. As people were coming out of those towers, as those planes flew into the side of those buildings, well, many were running out. Many were running in to rescue them. Many gave their lives trying to rescue one or two or three people. Those are the heroes. We still call them heroes of 9-11 today. They saw hope in the rescue efforts. Well, today, if you're losing hope, I want you to draw closer to God in faith I want you to determine to be hopeful. And then number three, I want you to be involved in exhorting one another. Now, as we think about this, it almost seems like it's out of place. If I'm needing some hope, I'm going to exhort one another. But that's what Paul says, Hebrews 10, 24. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and toward good deeds. You see, hope grows when it's shared. When I exhort somebody else, I become encouraged. Now, the hope of Christ causes us to spur one another on to good deeds and to love. So the emphasis here is that I keep loving somebody as Christ keeps loving us, but he keeps spurring us. You see, it's not a one-time or it's not an occasionally spurring others on. It's kind of like, I guess you could say, a a long-term marriage. As I was preparing this message, one of our members had a father passed away. His his dad passed away. So I went to be with the family and to prepare for the the funeral and get things ready. And and as I'm meeting with the family, I, I learned that this couple had been married for 61 years. And so we got talking about marriage, and we got talking about long-term marriage, and, and somebody asked me, why is it that some marriages last for 61 years and, and some don't last very long? Well, I said, well, part of it is that we're living in a day and age where people are married for better, for worse, but not for long. And I said, the other thing is that we have forgotten how to forgive one another. A couple that stays together for a long time. 60 years, is a couple that has learned the art of forgiveness. They have become two really great forgivers. You see, when you really love somebody, there's got to be times of exhortation. There's got to be 
times of spurring one another on. And so Paul uses this analogy of a spur uh, to spur one another on to love and good action. He says, don't give up meeting together. Some are already in the habit of doing that. But as we gather together, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Well, I'm going to have to finish this message tomorrow. Would you join me tomorrow as we talk about the last two reasons why we should remain hopeful? And as we are preparing for Christmas, would you consider coming and worshiping with us on Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve? I would love to see you. And then we're doing a Christmas Day service, Sunday, Christmas Day, December 25th at 10 o'clock. Come and join us Christmas Eve. Drive-in services at 3, inside candlelight service at 5. We have Peak Coffee. Uh, They have a coffee trailer out there for you, and uh, that'll be our gift to you. Come get a free cup of coffee. Come worship with us on Christmas Eve. We would love to see you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. If there's ever a broadcast that you'd like to listen to again, you can go to hrcc 7 Org, and then click on to the Listen tab, and you can listen to this sermon through another podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.